he's done this morning. Come on, give him a praise for everything he's done this morning. Everybody grateful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. High five at least five people on the way to your seat. Tell them he's a great big God. He's a great big God. Woo! Hallelujah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to take a brief opportunity today to say what a privilege and an honor it is to have all of our guests here in the house of the Lord with us today. Rock Church, one more time, would you help me make some noise? We can do a little bit better than that. Help me welcome all of our guests here into the house of the Lord today. What a privilege and an honor it is to have you here worshiping with us on this Sunday morning. We are grateful. If this is your very first time here at the Rock Church of Fort Myers, you should have received a VIP invitation card when you walked through the door. This is an invitation for you to join us immediately after the service in our VIP room. Everybody knows that stands for very important person. We want you to know you're a very important person to us today. And we've got, amen, we've got some light refreshments and a small gift we'd love to give you just as a token of our appreciation. And uh, we have a little understanding here that you are only a guest for the first five minutes you come through the door. After that, you're just at home here at the Rock Church of Fort Myers. Amen, somebody. Would you turn around 360 degrees, touch every hand you can reach, tell them welcome home today. Come on, tell them welcome home. We're so grateful to have you in the house of the Lord today. Amen. God has been doing some absolutely incredible things in this house. Last Sunday, we had over 600 folks that were gathered here in the sanctuary. I think we ought to give God a praise for that. When the Holy Ghost finished, six people were baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. And then this Friday that just passed, Renee was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I think we ought to give God a praise for that today. Amen, amen. We're so thankful for what God is doing. And I uh, want to take another brief opportunity to again say thank you to everyone who has been working diligently on getting your Supernatural Sunday uh, commitments turned in. Uh, we are so excited about what the Lord is doing uh, on Supernatural Sunday. We pledged $239,000 and uh, to date 46989 of that has already come in. I think we ought to go ahead and give God another great big praise this morning for what he's doing in this house. Amen. And uh, so thank you to everybody who is working diligently to get those turned in. And uh, this is the year that dreams become reality. Amen? Amen. 
Stand with me, if you would, all across this sanctuary. I want to hasten uh, to the word of the Lord in this place. The book of Genesis, chapter 19, is where you will find my assignment for this morning. Genesis, chapter 19, and I only want to reference the first five words of the chapter. It says, and there came two angels, and there came two angels. And for a few moments this morning, I simply want to preach when the angel comes. When the angel comes. Would you put your Bibles down and one more time give God a hand clap of praise in this sanctuary today. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God a praise. Glory to your name, Jesus. Glory to your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord today. In order to have some context for the opening of chapter number 19 and these five words that carry incredible impetus, we must first back up in Scripture to the previous chapter, chapter number 18, to understand exactly what it is that is happening here. You will find in your Bible that in chapter 18, the Lord has just had a conversation with Abraham and Sarah concerning his promise for their life. And immediately upon the heels of this conversation, the Lord asks a question of the angels that were there and present in this interaction. And he asks the angels and says, should I show unto Abraham this thing which I am going to do? He was referring to the fact that he had made up in his mind that he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. God had made up in his mind, the Bible says, that the, the voices and the cry of the wickedness of that city uh, had rose into the ears of God uh, to a place that God finally said, uh, I have had all that I am willing uh, to have of this city's behavior their detestable mockery of all things that are righteous. And I am going to destroy the city. But he asked the question of the angels, before I destroy the city, should I first let Abraham know what my plans are? This is an interesting scenario to me because God is sovereign. And what I mean by that is uh, that God doesn't take counsel uh, from anybody uh, except himself. God doesn't need a committee. Uh, he doesn't need approval. Uh, he doesn't
doesn't need a panel discussion. Uh, he doesn't watch the popular opinion polls. Uh, when God makes a decision, uh, he is God all by uh, himself. Uh, somebody ought to be able to shout over that right there uh, because you serve a God uh, that when he decides to do something uh, in your life, uh, he doesn't have to ask anybody's opinion. Uh, he doesn't have to take a vote on it. Uh, he doesn't get the opinion uh, of your fans or your haters. Uh, when God decides he's going to do something, uh, he is God all by uh, himself. Yet he wants to make inquisition with Abraham concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. I believe that it is for this reason the Bible over and over declares concerning God that he is a righteous judge. And if you know anything about judicial proceedings, you understand that everybody is entitled to representation in a court case. You understand that even the lowest of criminals, uh, whether you have witnessed the crime or not, uh, you have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, one will be provided for you, a public defender. Because in order for there to be righteous judgment, uh, there has to be representation uh, of the defendant. And God knew uh, that if I tell Abraham uh, about Sodom and Gomorrah. He has a nephew in the city. And I know what Abraham will do. He will begin to pray on behalf of the city. So I'm going to tell Abraham my plans so that there can be a defense attorney that stands in the place and stands in proxy for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God tells Abraham I am about to destroy the city and sure enough Abraham immediately begins to strike a plea bargain with God he begins to plead with God and he says Lord peradventure there be 50 righteous in the city would you spare the city for 50 righteous people God I know you've already made up your mind in judgment but if I could find just 50 people would you spare the city on their behalf and God in his grace and mercy said I will spare the city for 50 righteous people Abraham returns to God and says Lord I can't find 50 righteous people but perchance would you spare the city for 45 that are righteous. God again responds in mercy. Yes, for 45 righteous, I will spare the city. Abraham returns. I cannot find 45 righteous people. Lord, would you please do it for 40 people? If I can find just for God said yes, in an amazing display of his patience and long suffering. Yes, for 40 righteous people uh, I will spare the city uh, Abraham comes back God uh, would you do it for 30 uh, 
Yes, Abraham, I'll even spare the city for 30 people. And at the end of the narrative, it becomes obvious to us that Abraham was not able to find a single righteous person in the city. But you understand what Abraham was trying to do was save the soul of his nephew that lived in the city. He knew that his nephew was not even righteous. But if I could find somebody righteous, maybe my nephew could be the beneficiary of somebody else's righteousness. And he stood in the gap hoping and praying that somehow God would spare the life of his nephew Lot. I came to preach to somebody in the building that you don't even understand today that the reason you were not destroyed wasn't because of your own righteousness. It wasn't because of how good you are. It wasn't because of how good you've been. But the only reason you're still here today is because somebody was praying for you. I just wish I had a witness in the building. Somebody was interceding for you. Brother Stewart, somebody was calling out my name to God. It was because somebody else was willing to pray. I just need somebody in the building who would give God the praise that he had grace and he had mercy, not because I deserved it, but because somebody was willing to pray for me. Abraham, you're out of options. Abraham, there's none righteous in the city. You have no leverage, nothing that would incentivize me to not carry out my plan. But the grace and mercy of God heard the desperation in the voice of Uncle Abraham for his nephew. And so God devises a plan. He devises a plan whereby his holy righteous judgment can still be rendered. And simultaneously his hand of mercy can be revealed in the life of Abraham's family. And so it is with that context that the chapter, chapter 19, opens up with these five words. And there came two angels. Oh yes, you understand that angels play an incredible role in scripture. And I don't have time this morning to get into uh, the study of, of angelology and discussing the difference between seraphims and cherubims and archangels and the Tassaba and the captain of the host. I don't have time to delineate the difference between all of the angels. Uh, suffice to say that the primary purpose of angels in scripture is that they were messengers from 
God. They were intermediaries between God and humanity. They brought messages from God. They delivered a word from heaven. And, and, and they played an incredible role in the scripture. But I want you to understand something powerful here. That as you begin to study the word of God, the role of angels begins to shift as we move from the Old Testament into the New Testament and we discover the birth of the New Testament church it is almost as if we see a dissipation of the voice of the angel as a messenger to the church why because God now has a new messenger to his people called the preacher called the pastor God said I am going to speak through an anointed man of God. Oh, this is why in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, you will find over and over again, as God begins to address the church, he speaks to the pastor of the church, and he writes to the angel of the church at Ephesus, to the angel at the church of Sardis, to the angel of the church at Philadelphia there is now going to be a new messenger to God's people it is going to be the voice of the pastor that will be the voice of the angel and God set the precedent so strong in scripture that it is repeat over and over again the emphasis that God places for example in Luke chapter 16 you can read the story of the rich man that died and went to hell and the Bible said that he saw Abraham afar off and he asked Abraham would you please send Lazarus to dip this fingers in water to cool my tongue and Abraham said it can't happen there's a great gulf fix between us and we can't come to one another he then begs and says then please send him to my brethren with a warning not to come to this awful place and Abraham's response to him is let them hear Moses and the prophets and he begins to argue with Abraham and he says but they're not going to hear Moses and the prophets but if you send somebody from the dead they'll listen to them and Abraham's final response was if they will not listen uh, to Moses and the prophets uh, then they will not listen to anybody uh, even if I send somebody back uh, from the dead uh, in other words he was declaring uh, I have no plan B uh, it is going to be through the voice uh, of my angel uh, that I am going to speak uh, to my church we see the authority of God when John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance. See, the preacher is everybody's favorite friend until he has to look at them and say, repent. You're wrong. Turn around. And it got so bad that King Herod couldn't stand him. Why? Because he kept coming to King Herod and telling him, you're wrong. 
You've got to repent. You can't do what you're doing. You've got to repent until finally Herod ordered that the head of John the Baptist be removed. There is no greater word picture to silence the voice of the man of God than to take his head off. It represented a complete silencing of the voice of God's angel. But later on, you read where Herod brought Jesus before the council. And the Bible says that he desired to hear words from Jesus. And the scripture says that Jesus spoke not a word to Herod. If you're going to cut off the voice of the angel, then you've cut off my voice. You will not circumvent the voice of the angel. You read about the conversion of the apostle Paul, who was a preacher killer. And when God knocked him off of his high horse, so to speak, on the road to Damascus, and he finally looks up and says, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. You read in your Bible, he begins to ask God for direction. What should I do? God already had his attention. God was already speaking. He could have spoke to him and given him direction right then and there. But you know what he told him? You're going to remain blind and without direction until you get to a certain house and you meet the angel. He's carrying the word. You know what he was doing? He was teaching Paul, your days of circumventing the man of God are over with. Your days of silencing the voice of the preacher are over with. I have appointed a new angel to my people. And there came two angels. God said, I've devised a plan, Abraham, to reach your nephew, I'm going to send two angels. And you understand that Lot was oblivious to the circumstances surrounding him. He was living life day to day as if everything was all right. I'm going to do what I want to do. I've got plans. I'm comfortable with what I'm doing. Not even realizing that while he's going about day to day that God is making plans to destroy the entire city including him in his. What a scary thing uh, to live a life uh, so disconnected from God uh, that we think we're living our best life uh, and don't even understand the impending judgment uh, of God that is looming. God said, I've got one plan. I've got one last ditch effort to try and reach your nephew. I'm going to send the angel. The Bible says that those angels showed up. And when they came to the gate of the city, there was a residue of spirituality in Lot that recognized these are not ordinary men, but these are men sent by God. 
And he knew immediately, you've got to come to my house. And he begins to lead them to his house. And the Bible says that when they got to the house, that the men of that city came from every corner of the city. Now you have to remember that Sodom and Gomorrah had a reputation. They were known, their moniker, their reputation was defined by a particular sinful proclivity. They were known for the sins of sexual perversion and homosexuality. It is what defined the city. And it, though these men that begin to come from every corner, they begin to call out to the house and they said, Lot, send out those men that we saw going to your house that we may have our way with them. They were calling because they wanted to, to, to materialize their sexual desires with those angels that had come. And Lot had enough sense to defend what was going on. And he stepped out on the porch and began to argue and say, listen, you, you, you don't, you don't want to mess with these two men. Can I stop here for a moment and just preach? What was he even in this situation for? Why in the world was Lot even in this kind of a situation in his life? I'll tell you why. Because years before, when he saw Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible said he pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. Way back here, when he was still connected to Uncle Abraham, and he still had a heart after the things of God, he made a poor decision. And he separated from godly influence. And he pitched his tent. He, the Bible didn't say that he moved to Sodom and Gomorrah. He just pitched his tent toward Sodom and Gomorrah. He, he was making a statement. He, he was trying to say, I have no intention on going that far. I just want to set my direction in that kind of a way. But anytime you set direction, it won't be long before you change your destination. I'm not always as concerned with the destination as I am people's direction. Their direction will indicate to you the destination that they are headed for. And because he pitched his tent toward the city, it wasn't long before he was living in the city that defied everything he had been taught about God that stood for everything his uncle had put inside of him. It spat in the face of godly principles and morals. You don't, you don't want these men. And he had become so messed up in his mind. I'm going somewhere this morning. He had become so messed up in his mind that he said, listen, let me give you my daughters instead of these men. They're virgins and they've never been touched before. Let me, let me give them to you to have your way with. What kind of a demented father is willing to sacrifice his own children? It's a man who has spent a lot of time in Sodom and Gomorrah 
because you can't stay in particular environments too long without it affecting how you think about things. You, you can't remain in particular environments uh, for very long before they affect uh, your value system. Uh, there was a day he would have never thought of that. Uh, he would have never considered that. Uh, but just a little bit of time uh, in the wrong environment. Uh, and now his values are messed up. Uh, and he can't even think clearly. Uh, and his decision making is clouded uh, by iniquity. The Bible says that those angels... Those men begin to reach for Lot. And those angels reached out, grabbed him, pulled him back in the house, and shut the door. And those angels begin to warn Lot. They said, Lot, listen, God is about to destroy this city. And the only reason we're here is because God sent us just for you and your family. Lot, it's only going to be a little bit of time. And God is about to consume this entire city with fire. We're here, Lot, to tell you, grab your children, grab your wife, grab your stuff, and get out of here before it's too late. Bible says that Lot ran to his sons-in-law. You know what that tells me? He had two daughters that were at home that were not married. But he had two more daughters that got married in Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he showed up at their house, Brother Stewart, can you imagine a father going to his children's house saying, Listen, God sent two angels and he's about to destroy the city. Come on, honey. Come on, we got to go. God told me to get my family so that we could escape the judgment. And the Bible says that his sons-in-law looked at him and treated him as if he was mocking them. You want to know what that means? They chalked up the conversation as a big, fat joke, as a laughing matter. Listen, Lot, if you're not careful, you can lead your family into some places that you might escape, and they're never, never able to get out of it. You might be able to get out, Lot, but there might come a day when the price that you pay is that your children got stuck in the place that you led them. Now things begin to really shift in the mind of Lot. I can see him leaving their house in a panic. What am I going to do? My daughters, my, my sons-in-law, they don't believe me. Well, what am I going to do? These are my children. These are my babies. Listen, there is no pressure like pressure from family when it comes to standing for what's right spiritually. I'm going to say that again. There is no pressure 
like pressure from family when it comes to doing things God's way and doing what's right in the eyes of God. Just ask Adam in the garden when his wife sinned and instead of Adam standing up and leading his wife back into fellowship with God, he succumbed to her influence and he went along with her sin and instead of leading her out he led them both into the judgment of God the pressure's on he comes back talks to his wife he says honey I talked to the girls I talked to the boys they're not leaving they they said they love it here. They said that they didn't believe it. They said that that was just the opinion of the angel. They said that, that other people would disagree with what the angel said. And they're choosing to listen to those voices instead of the word that the angel, what do you do when you're an angel from God and you've got a message from God, but people want to listen to their own voice. They want to listen to their own influence. And despite the voice and the direction of God, they want to do what's in their heart to do. Come on, honey. We've got to go. And the Bible says, give it, give it to me, verse number 15. Genesis chapter 19. Look at verse number 15. The Bible says that the angels, when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot. You know what that says? They came to Lot and said, time's up. We've got to hurry and you wonder why your angel comes into this sanctuary sometimes and preaches with such urgency trying to get a response now. Why? Because you don't understand that time is running out. You don't understand the urgency from God. The angels said, listen, we've explained it five times. We've told you over and over again, but now we've got to hasten you. Now now I've got to try to motivate you. Hurry up. Quit standing in the valley of indecision. You don't have time to wait around. Hurry up. Get your wife and your daughters unless you end up in the same judgment that's going to come in the city. There's no more desperate feeling in the world than being a preacher who preaches like this on a Sunday morning and watch people looking at their watch, playing on their cell phones, disconnected from what God is trying to say. Come on, grab your wife. I know you got two daughters who are stuck and they're not gonna, they're being stubborn, but get the ones who are with you. Don't focus on the ones who aren't going to listen. Focus on the ones who you still have influence with. 
grab your wife and grab those girls and get yourself out of this city before the judgment of God begins to fall. I don't know about you, but if an angel came to me and spoke and preached like this, you wouldn't have to convince me to run to an altar. You wouldn't have to convince me to get up out of my seat and get to responding to what God is saying. You wouldn't have to do any special music. You wouldn't have to give me five invitations. I might run you over just trying to get to the altar before you even finish preaching. If I knew God said, hurry up because you're about to be consumed with the sin. But that's not what happened. Look at the next verse. And while he lingered, despite the urgency and the warning from God, Abraham still said, I got I to gotta think about this. I'm going to have to think about this some more. I got a lot on the line here. I got a, I got a successful business and a nice house. And I got lots of stuff. I'm going to have to think about this while he lingered. What happened? The angels laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters. The angel said, there's no time to think about this. Help me out here, Lot and your wife. The angel said, come on. Now angel, you're, you're, you're lingering. You're not just going with the flow. He said, come on. You got, got, come. I said, come on. No, no, you're lingering. Come on. Come on. You you got Did you hear what I said? Come on. Are you paying a wake up lot? Come on. Lot, you don't understand. He's trying to convince Lot. Quit standing in the valley of indecision. It's the wrong. Come on, you've got to do what God said to do. And you want to know how most people interpret this? This is an angel trying to control me. This is an angel trying to tell me what to do. Don't tell me when I go and how I go. And that's how they interpret this. Because when your heart is carnal and you've tied to Sodom and Gomorrah, you don't understand the role and the purpose of the angel. And the angels, what is this? It's a wrestling match between the will of Lot and the will of God, exercised by the hand of the angel. He's pulling his direction, and God is using the angel's hand to pull him in God's direction. Don't you get mad at me when I come to you and I've got my hand wrapped around you and I'm doing my best to pull you in the opposite direction than what you're headed. It could be that you don't understand. What does the next part of the verse say? 
He had his hand upon his wife, his two daughters. The Lord being merciful. It was an act of mercy for the angel to pull on Lot. This isn't control. This isn't manipulation. This isn't ruling over God's people. This is the mercy of God. What's wrong with you? I'll tell you what's wrong. Sin has a way of distorting our understanding of the angel. Sin in Sodom and Gomorrah has a way of messing up our perception of the role of the man of God that's in our life. And we argue with him and we fight against him. And all he's trying to do is what God said. I can't tell you how many times I went home and cried and said, God, I preached the best I could and they didn't pray through. God, I gave it everything I had and they just sat on the back too and never came to an altar. God, I don't know what else. I've tried calling them. I've tried, and I'm praying, and I'm preaching, and I'm counseling, and I'm loving, and God, they don't want to come. And I preach more, and I pray more, and I love them more. But God, they're not listening. What's happening? The angel is demonstrating the mercy of God. Come on, I'm preaching when the angel comes. What are you going to do when the angel comes to your life? What are you going to do when the angel looks at you and says that's the wrong way? That's the wrong direction. What are you going to do when the angel is doing his best to save you and your family? When the angel comes. I've literally, brother and sister Ramirez, sat at the table with people, tears running down my face, and literally begged them to listen to what God said and watch them get up and say, thank you for your opinion, but I'm going to do what I have to do. What do you do? He's pulling them and they're lingering. You know what's on their mind? What about my mama's thinking? What about my two girls? The angel's saying, come on. And mama said, how? How do I leave my two babies? And they're, what about my grandchildren? And the angel's saying, come on. If you got to choose between your family and God, choose God every time. If you got to choose between your children and God, stand for what's right. Because you won't help them. You'll be destroyed with them. Come on. 
and Lot's thinking about all the time and money and effort he's invested and he's struggling and the angels pulling service after service counseling session after counseling session phone call after phone call God help me get him out of here God help me You know what happened? There came a certain point where the angel said, I brought you as far as I can. Music come. I brought you. You see, there comes a time where God finally looks at the angel. And says, let him go. What a scary place to be. When God finally looks at the angel and says, you've done all you can. Turn him loose. Oh, I'm in the word of God now. You just read about the prophet who wept and cried praying for Saul who had disobeyed God over and over and over again. And he was right in the middle of a prayer meeting, interceding for Saul, when God spoke up and said, Why weepest thou for Saul, seeing I have rejected him as king? I don't want you to pray another prayer for Saul. Wipe the dust off of your feet and go anoint the new king. point the angel said I've come as far as God's going to let me come because now God's going to find out what's in your heart God's going to find out what you'll do when the man of God takes his hands off it God's going to find out what you're going to do when you don't have that phone call every three days trying to convince you to do it right The angel led them to a certain place. And his last words to that couple was, don't look back. Turn your back on the mistakes you made. And don't turn back. came to preach to some people in this house today. I couldn't get away from this when I got out of bed this morning. God said, I want you to walk in there one more time. And I want you to grab them as tight as you can. And I want you to pull them as far as you can in the right direction. I want you to give it everything you got. So God... I've done my best today. God, I've preached it the best I know how. God, I'm asking you right now in this place to come upon them. God, you've got to take over from here. God, you've got to grab a hold of them from here. 
whatever you do, don't look back. March to the altar and don't look back. March to the altar until you get your heart right, until you get your mind right, and don't look back. Let's stand all over this house today. I'm preaching when the angel comes. The angel is coming to this house today. The angel has walked into the house today. And I wonder if there's anybody in this house that would get up out of your seat and move to the altar and say, God, I hear your voice. God, I hear you speaking to me. God, I hear you talking to me. Come on, here they come all over this house. Don't you worry about anything else going on around you, Lot. The only thing that matters today is you getting right with God. The only thing that matters today is your family getting right with God. Come on, all over this house. Come on. Come on. All over this house. Somebody needs to run to an altar of repentance. Somebody needs to run to an altar and get your heart right with God. Somebody needs to run to an altar and say, not my will, but thy will be done, God. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm begging somebody in this house. I'm begging some people in this place today. I'm begging some people in this place today. Please hear the voice of God. Please hear the voice of God. Don't do it your way. Do it God's way. Don't surrender to your will. Surrender to God's will.
thing. Come on. Whatever it takes, God.
said, pour everything out. Pour everything out.
Come on, let's give God some praise for what he's done in this house. Come on, let's give God some praise for what he's done in this place. Hallelujah. Yada da 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 bosh. I tell you, I'm a bosh.